Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Stanford Sierra's podcast, Resource Families Thrive. This is Daniel. I'm your Resource Family Training Specialist in Pathways to Permanency. Today, we are going to be talking about this interesting concept that we've been working on for a little while called Next Level Parenting. Um, So more on that later. As a reminder to everyone, please like, comment, and share on all of our social media posts, especially those having to do with the podcast episodes. Our goal is to get information out there to teach people about what we have going on in the system, in our program, for our kids, for our families. And so every like, comment, and share on our social media posts will help us do that. As always, for our new listeners, I'd like to kind of give you a rundown about who we are as an organization. So Stanford Sierra Youth and Families is a merged organization between the two previous agencies. We have about 150 years of combined experience. Our supports include things like juvenile justice intervention services, family advocacy, mental health, behavior supports, school-based services, and more in addition to our foster care services. At this time, our total service area encompasses 17 counties in Northern California. Our primary resource family approval offices are located in Grass Valley, Roseville, and Sacramento. All of our services are meant to support our mission within our community. And that mission is transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and empowering families to solve challenges together so every child can thrive. So as I mentioned earlier, we're gonna be talking about next level parenting. There are a couple of different things that we do as an organization that are pretty new. I, I would say that they're actually brand new within our system. Everyone thinks of foster care and being a resource family is just taking in a child and yes, providing them with support, providing them with a loving environment, a nurturing place for them to be. But there are kids with more complex needs than that. We talk a lot about trauma. We talk a lot about attachment. And so for those kids who have more complex needs, they need parents who are able to take it to the next level of support. So that's why we say next level parenting. Um, The three main ones, as we've kind of touched on already, are going to be things like TFC, therapeutic foster care, and then HBSC, home-based shelter care, and then also ISFC, intensive service foster care. So we're hoping that we can kind of shed some light on what those things look like today and um, really encourage families to learn more. Um, So I will let my guests go ahead and take it away and introduce themselves. Tell us a little bit more. Hi, um, my name is Karen and I'm a social worker in the Pathways to Permanency program. And I have been supporting the pilot program for the home-based shelter care um, for our agency. And I am Natalie. I am a foster care social worker as well as a TFC clinician in our Pathways to Permanency program. All right, Natalie, so why don't you tell us what TFC is? Um, Yes, so TFC is our Therapeutic Foster Care Program. It's an adjunct mental health service, and um, the reason why TFC is unique in this kind of landscape of the continuum of care reform is that the foster parents are actually assigned a mental health treatment goal, and they write daily notes and submit them to Medi-Cal for reimbursement of services um, for the child in their home. Um, So it's really unique 
in that the parent is um, a very active member of the treatment team assigned a goal and that they're working on those interventions every day. The intent of the therapeutic foster care program is to support youth from um, either going to a higher level of care like a group home or a hospital stay or coming out of a group home or hospitalization and they need that extra support to be able to um, be in a home-based setting. So Karen, you are the social worker that has been supporting our pilot program of home-based shelter care. How old is that program? It is a fairly new program. I wanna say just within the past year or so that um, the county and the state has really been honing in on the continuum of care reform, like Natalie mentioned, and ensuring that we are providing every program and opportunity to support youth with complex needs. And so um, it, it's fairly new. Um, a lot of different foster agencies throughout the state have been jumping on board to implement a similar program within their agency. And so we are just another one of those agencies that's really honing in to support that need. So what makes home-based shelter care different from just being a foster parent? What makes home-based shelter care different um, than compared to traditional or regular foster care is a family coming through the process to become approved as an, a home-based shelter care family is they are open to any and all youth that are being referred to, uh, to the county for placement. So a family that is supporting this need is ultimately ensuring that any child that has been removed or is in need of placement has a place to rest their head, has a place to put their belongings, has a nurturing home environment compared to being placed at a facility or other shelter, um, which as we all know, um, or many of us know, I should say, um, that facilities and institutions are not a typical um, place for youth, foster youth especially, to be. So um, it's providing a loving home for a child that may be experiencing foster care for the first time or had, this is their, uh, have had, ha sorry, have experienced multiple placements. So by and large, it's it's really focused in on keeping kids out of places like the receiving home. Is, is that correct? Like instead of going to the receiving home or one of the other emergency shelters, it's placing a child with a family instead, just temporarily. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the point. And our, what we ask for a family is that they're, they're, providing, again, um, they're opening their doors, they're providing this comforting environment um, that feels more like a family, feels more like a home compared to places like the receiving home. So how long is a child actually in a home-based shelter care placement then? That's a really good question. So it can vary. Um, a child, we can expect a child to be in a home-based shelter care placement for anywhere from one night couple or honestly really a couple of hours to um you know one night two nights and the most we're looking at is um up to 30 days really and um and there is a process to seeing how long we anticipate a, a, a youth to 
be in a home-based shelter care placement. It's definitely assessing um, the needs as you go. So it, because it's so unpredictable based on how long a child may stay, again, looking at that up to 30-day mark, um, it's really important that we're supporting a family through um, just the unknown, you know, not knowing how long a child might stay there. So um, making sure that their dental and medical needs are still going to be met as our agency requires all foster youth have a medical and dental appointment within the first month of placement. Um, so those are things that we are actually still honing in on, but we're ensuring that that's something that is going to be a priority for any child that comes into a home-based shelter care program. Um, Natalie, I know that the one that you've been working on for a little bit longer, you know, with TFC, how old is that program now? Um, TFC is probably about two and a half to three years old. Um, the county proposed the contract to us and we thought it would be a great addition to our kind of um, array of services that we could offer um, because we know that, like Karen mentioned, we have a lot of high needs youth um, that are in congregate care and group homes, uh, hospitalizations, and um, those institutions are not um, really well fit to parent children. They're great for stabilization and safety um, for the time being, but um, really children should not be growing up in the system. So question I have for both of you, respective to your programs is, what are the qualities that each of these types of families need? Flexibility in your, flexibility in your schedule is always helpful. Being able to um, just have having the having the room, having the capacity, just like any other uh, resource family is uh, able to support with with foster care. So definitely, just being able to have the space. Um, being able to have a, you know, an open heart that any child that is coming into your home um, with various varying needs, varying personalities, varying um, backgrounds, uh, those are really the, some of, a few of the things that come to mind um, when we're looking at qualities a family should have. So you're talking about kids coming into families in home-based shelter care where it's, you know, it, I, I can't help but kind of draw a parallel here between emergency placement and home-based shelter care. Is there a difference between the two? I would say that home-based shelter care, with you are a home-based shelter care family, you are open to emergency placements. Emergency placements occur every day um, with the counties that we work with. And so we have families that have opened up their homes to the option of emergency placements, but the difference being home-based shelter care, you are accepting and opening your home up to any child that is especially having a, if the county's having difficulty finding a home for the family or for the youth, if the county um, has identified that this youth um, it would make sense for this child to go to a home-based shelter care setting because the next step or transition from there would be to be placed with birth family or to transition to a group home if that is that high level of intensity of needs. It really varies depending on the situation. Uh, an emergency placement that is typical to what we know day in and day out with a typical resource family, um, that is there is still some uh, processing occurring 
looking at needs, identifying if it's a fit for the family, because we always look at um, emergency placement as still a long-term goal for that child to be in that home for however long they need to be there versus home-based shelter care is definitely looks, looked at as a temporary thing. Got it. Okay. I see the difference now. So emergency placements, the child is placed, but it's like, hey, we have this child that seems to fit some of, of, of what you were looking to provide in foster care. And so we're going to place them with you with the goal of them staying with you. We might not have a ton of information, but they're going to stay with you. Whereas with home-based shelter care, same kind of deal. We might not have a ton of information, but here is a child and they need a place. And as home-based shelter care, you are saying you've opened yourself up to everybody. And with the understanding, they're probably not going to stay with you long-term. We're looking for other options. Yes. Got and it. I, sh I should add that there is definitely a possibility that if the right child came through uh, home-based shelter care and was placed with the family, there is that possibility that if that child needed a placement, a long-term placement, or possibly even adoption or guardianship, that family is still a potential viable family uh, if you are a home-based shelter care family. Um, but like you said, Daniel, it's not the first option. That's something that okay. kind of comes second. Got it. Okay. So it's not, it's not the focus in home-based shelter care. Yeah, the option is there, but the focus is we're looking for where this kid's going to really land. Thank you. Um, Natalie, I know I'd kind of popped this question over earlier. So what are the qualities that you look for in a TFC family? Um, so the qualities that we're looking for for a therapeutic foster care family is a, a base level knowledge of you know trauma-informed parenting and trauma-informed care. They really have to come with a clinical lens to their parenting because they are a adjunct mental health provider. And I would say the kind of second big quality that we're looking for um, is families who kind of know what their own personal stuff is, like their triggers, um, their things that, you know, irritate them or um, they find challenging about themselves and their own personal reactions and have the ability to kind of put that aside. I think um, in our professional role, we all have those clients that are challenging to us, you know, have some type of emotional reaction within us, and we have to be able to process that outside of session. Um, so it really is our parents being able to know what that is and being able to set that aside because they are in that, you know, paraprofessional role as an adjunct mental health provider. And I'd echo the same thing with Kieran. The third one is flexibility. Um, so you're going to be providing interventions essentially as soon as the child is waking up. And then at the end of the day, whether, you know, there's a tantrum or not, you have to still write a note, um, a Medi-Cal billable note. And um, that can that can be challenging. It's it's can be draining to our families. So I think a, a parent that has that flexibility and just kind of knows their schedule and has the ability to just like us on the, you know, clinical treatment team still has the ability to write a note at the end of the day, no matter how long it was, is going to be really important. And it's challenging because they have challenging kids. So it almost sounds like the, the TFC parents 
have to be therapists coming into this? Like, is it that they have to have a mental health background? No, absolutely not. Um, that's a good question. Um, I would say when I mean clinical lens, um, is they just have to understand trauma behavior and what it looks like for that kid. Um, so a lot of our newer parents are still learning what trauma behaviors look like in children um, because they can be very different. It can look like autism. It look, can look like ADHD. It can look like defiance. And really what it is, is it's a trauma response. Um, so they just have to be knowledgeable about that. If they have a background um, as like former group home staff or a retired therapist, that's great. It gives them kind of a, that leg up on doing notes and uh, understanding all of the acronyms that come with it and being able to express their interventions in a you know clinical way um, to the the to me the TFC clinician um, in their in their you know, daily, daily note. Um, but they don't, it's not a requirement, um, which is nice because then you have our parents that have just been doing this for 10 plus years who have that incredible knowledge and just those incredible skills that we can have be part of the program. Um, and they don't have to have any background. I think this is an important moment to highlight for our families you know, it's really common that people think that they're going to get through this, they're going to get their certificate of approval, child placed in their home, and then they're going to be on their own. And especially when it comes to next level parenting, like therapeutic foster care and home-based shelter care, you're going to have a lot of support. You have, so Natalie, you're a TFC clinician, correct? Mm -hmm. what, is, what does that actually mean? Uh, so the TFC clinician role is really akin to a clinical supervisor um, of the foster parent. So the role really is um, reviewing with the foster parent what interventions they're doing every day. Are those interventions clinically appropriate? Are they relevant to the goal? So we don't want a goal about inattention and, you know, task management, and then you're doing this other random thing over here that has nothing to do with supporting those skills in our youth. Um, so we really, it really is um, overseeing the parent, making sure that um, the notes are up to Medi-Cal standards and making sure that the, you know, the wheels stay on the bus and all of the treatment team members are fulfilling their role and their obligation. And as well as just kind of processing what happened that week, it gives you a great glance into the daily life of the foster parents and what they're doing and what the challenges are. And I, it gives them that time to reflect on what's working and what the progress has been. Um, so I know for a lot of our parents, they look back on the notes of like, well, I don't have a lot to write or mornings haven't been as challenging. And I can see that because I have this essentially journal every day that I've done. And sometimes when we're in it, it's hard to see the progress because there's definitely still needs there. And our kids are still experiencing a lot of mental health symptoms. So I think that's the benefit of it. It gives us a, that time to reflect and really track those behaviors every single day and see the progress our kids make. Um, because once they are in that home with a parent who can respond to their needs and um, form those you know, secure attachments, we see a lot of decrease in their mental health symptoms and kind of those trauma behaviors. And then Karen, on the home-based shelter care side, I know it's a very new program. 
Um, but what kind of supports will you be offering to the resource families that are approving for that side of the program? What, what specialized things might they be receiving or needing? So as the home-based shelter care social worker, um, if you are approved as a home-based shelter care family, like the, the pilot family that I've been supporting through this process, I am providing sort of that one-on-one hand-holding, especially in the beginning um, when a placement um, takes place through for our home-based shelter care family. I'm ensuring either I'm going out the same day or the next day to meet the youth, um, be able to complete the intake placement paperwork that is necessary when anytime we have a placement occur within our agency. And just ensuring like, what are the things that the family needs right now? I'm doing an assessment. I'm, I'm listening to the family and hearing their feedback and their assessment about the child. We're, form, we're brainstorming together. Um, and so really it's almost like this um, because it's unexpected of not knowing all the details about this child that's coming through home-based shelter care. It's really this collaboration between our home-based shelter care family and myself to ensure that um, we're understanding all of the needs, and if there are needs that we need to advocate for, you know, uh, I'm supporting the family and communicating with the county, which is a lot of what the role as a general FFA foster family agency social worker is, is you're a liaison to the counties that we work with um, for foster youth. And so a lot of handholding for sure in the beginning. Um, you know, our agency requires we, we meet with our youth weekly, especially upon initial placement. Um, it may look differently with home-based shelter care. Maybe that I'm going out daily to check in with the family and the youth to see how they're, they're adjusting in the home. Um, another option, depending on the level of care of the child, if they are a higher needs or higher intensity youth, um, we do have our um, ISFC, again, Intensive Services Foster Care uh, Support Counselor, who is also sort of a backup and next in line to support any additional behavioral needs that may come up based on the level of care of the child upon placement. I don't recall if we have had a chance to really talk about ISFC or intensive service foster care in previous episodes. So to kind of give an elevator speech on that for everyone, intensive service foster care, as Karen's kind of touched on, is for those youth who do have particular behavioral needs. So TFC is focused on the mental health treatment, on stabilizing mental health, which yes, will have a great impact on a child's behaviors. But ISFC is really keyed in on the behaviors, development of new coping skills with the support of a family support counselor that works with the youth and the family to develop and then successfully implement those skills in the home. Another thing I want to mention here is that any of our programs that we're talking about with this are meant to have an end point. Natalie, how long has the typical TFC child been receiving those supports? Um, so the TFC authorization from the county um, is for six months. So they can receive services through TFC for up to six months. 
Um, at the six month mark, we typically have closed. Um, sometimes we close a little early if the youth has already met their goal and we're kind of having trouble coming up with notes to write that day or content for the notes. So we kind of know like, okay, uh, you know, kiddos meeting their goal. There's not a lot to focus on. Um, if for some reason there needs to be an extension of that, we can um, advocate for uh, another uh, short-term authorization, um, but typically we would like to see it close within six months. And with TFC, they're going to, even when they close, they're going to continue to live with that same family. Right. So in, in the proposal from the county, the idea was that these kids would then move to a permanent placement, much like HBSE where um, we stabilized, we found a home. Um, I see it working really, really well with kinship uh, care. So if someone comes in to support their kin and um, they're new to foster care, these kids can be in these TFC homes, stabilized, and then transition to kin care um, because you know um, we have experienced foster parents that can help stabilize their mental health. Um, but in actuality, uh, we don't want to move children just to have an opening in a TFC home. So, um, most of our kids, um, who have received TFC services end up staying in the home, um, and, uh, continue to be placed there, um, until, you know, there is a permanency plan discussed or, um, you know, or if they do need a higher level of care in TFC um, and ISFC and RAP weren't enough, um, then they would go to a higher level of care. But um, typically that's how it looks in action is the kids stay. We're talking about a lot of intense needs and what can sound really scary for some families out there. I always want to let people know that we're not expecting you to jump into this kind of program right away. So this is next level parenting. Do we have some families that might be ready to jump straight into it? Yes, certainly. We are not going to get you your certificate of approval and then say, okay, now you're going to take in this TFC child's or here's this kid that just came out of a really tough spot. We're trying to not put them into the receiving home. So now you've got them, your HBSC, congratulations. There is a process on these things. These are elective. There is a lot more training involved. I don't want to get into the logistics of that today, but there's specialized training, there's specialized supports. There are all of these different steps in order to take your parenting to the next level to become one of these families. We need families to step forward to do this kind of care, to do the temporary types of care that you can find through home-based shelter care or emergency placements, to do the deeper level work through therapeutic foster care. We need families to step forward and know that those are options. So question for both of you, it kind of, connects to the typical last question that I ask on the podcasts of my guests. Why should families get involved and at least really start learning more or thinking about becoming next level parents? That's a really good question because it does seem um, like a big undertaking when we're talking about this. Um, and I want to acknowledge that it is hard work. 
but I think the thing that makes Stanford Sierra unique is the level of support that you would get. I think the worst feeling a foster parent can feel is alone in this endeavor. And um, our staff is really good about being responsive, showing up, being consistent, coming with really strong clinical support. So even if, say, you know, a kid discharges and it's not, you know, what we hoped, I think the best thing we can take away from that is the foster parents feeling supported by our staff, um, which is great. I think that, um, you know, we kind of can't control outcomes for our kids, even though we really, really want to. Um, but I think that's really where it comes from is uh, the foster parents feeling supported and not feeling like they're going it alone. And um, I think the other thing is that, you know, we never grow out of needing family, no matter what age our kids are. Um, we never grow out of needing support, whatever that looks like. I know with the pandemic, people are understanding the importance of mental health and connection and community. And these are the kids that need that even though it might seem daunting at the time and they might push back. Um, these are the kids that we serve and that need us to serve them. And so I think it really comes as a call to action for our parents who are thinking about this, maybe a little unsure, like we are here to support, we are here with training, we are here with um, updates, all of those things that make it seem like you're not in it alone and that you can do it. You do have the skills. Um, these are things that you are capable of um, supporting. And once you have that and your kids see that you have that, I think we see a big, big behavior change, um, which is great because really that's the goal is um, to transform lives and get these kids a sense of community. And I think that parenting, in my opinion, has always this has always had this very underlying tone of healing and and processing. And I think uh, if you're a parent, you know that you want to provide the most nurturing, healing, comforting environment for your child or any child that comes into your home. And I think that what makes next level parenting just that extra level up literally, is that you are acquiring very specific skills and tools to really hone in and fulfill and support this need that our community has, which is we have so many foster youth in care that are just needing a loving home and, you know, unconditional positive regard and support. And I think that if you are a parent that feels really strongly about being a parent and providing a safe and loving home to all children. I think that if, I think that this is a very, um, this could be a really good fit for you. And I think that learning some of those additional skills and going back to what Natalie said, having the staff to support you through a lot of these acquiring of skills and even, even unique situations, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting because it's, you, you can have a set of skills, but you still can't predict what is going to happen or how, what the type of child that's going to come into your home. But I think, again, the supports are there. I think having all those tools are in place can really help heal and support a child through their, through anything that they've been through, whether it's their first time removal or they've been in care for so long that there is a lot of complex trauma that needs to be healed and worked on. And so I think 
I think that's my why for why next level parenting is so, so important. I appreciate you both being here. One thing I'm realizing as we've been talking is I know this episode has really been focused in on the parents, on, on the parents who we need to be next level parents kind of hoping that I am able to get you both on at some point again so that we can also talk about who the kids are. So I'm sure that listeners will want to know who the kids are that are receiving these next level parenting services and supports. Just a plug for that. They're awesome. Don't let anybody <laughs> tell you any different. 100% agree. Thank you both again for being here today. I always appreciate having guests on, especially our social workers. I know that you have so much going on all the time with all of the amazing work that you're doing. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, I always want to remind people to like, comment, and share on all of our social media posts. If you do have questions, you want to learn more, you can visit our website, ssyaf.org. You can also give us a call at 916-368-5114. Karen, Natalie, thank you. I appreciate you both. Of course. Thank you for having us, Daniel. This is great. And we love to share more about the work we do at Stanford Sierra. Yes. Thank you for having us. It was fun. Until we talk to you again, keep thriving. <laughs>